Good morning, church. How you doing? Good, man. That was a good, good morning. Good to see so many of you here on campus. If you're joining us online, good to see you there as well. Question for you. When you were younger, did you ever do anything stupid? Your laugh is your answer. If you're online, you actually have the opportunity to tell us what you did. Um, When we are young, we typically will do things that we look back upon and say, I probably wouldn't do that again. I'm surprised I'm still here or don't have a lifelong injury, right? When we're younger, we tend to do dumb things. And I'm no exception. I remember my senior year of high school, we had a snowstorm. And so school was canceled for like a week of class. And when you're a kid, that's awesome, right? That's, That's all you want. I could also drive, and I had a job in town at the subway where I made sandwiches. Uh, My parents kind of had a rule to have a car and drive. You had to have a job. And so I still had to go to work even though there was a snowstorm. And uh, my parents, I guess, thought I was responsible enough to drive to work and drive home. And I was responsible. I did go to work, and I did come back home with a few other stops in between. Right? Some of you are laughing. Maybe you have a similar experience in What's really cool is my parents are are here today, and so this is the first time they're hearing this with you, is this story. And so I might have found some other little side roads to, you know, drive as fast as I could and then slam the brakes and see how I could drift. Not parking lot donuts, not anything safe, like actual backcountry roads trying to drift and slip and slide like I was some sort of NASCAR driver in the snow. And I, I did eventually make it back home, and everything was fine. Clearly, I was safe. I'm a great driver. That's what I learned. But I look back now, I don't think I would do that again, and I couldn't recommend that to my kids to do that either, right? When we're young, we tend to do dumb things. It just just comes with it, and when we look back, we're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And I wonder if when we're young, we do these things because we think this. We think that death is far away. Would you agree that when you're young, you typically think that death is far away? It's not right around a corner on a snowy road. Couldn't possibly be, right? Death is far away. It's for someone else, not me. And so when we're young, we typically think that death is far away, and that can make us do some really dumb things, some decisions we would look back on and say, eh, probably wouldn't do that again, like driving dangerously on snowy roads. Uh, right? Assuming death is far away can actually keep us a little bit ignorant or naive to the permanent nature of death. It's irreversible. And in fact, um, I was reading an article a few years ago about this phenomenon that psychologists are noticing with uh, when young people pass away, how all of a sudden like every student was somehow a friend of that person. You might have experienced this if you're in your teenage years and someone in your school passed away, or you might have noticed this. When someone dies, it's like every student all of a sudden had some sort of relationship with that person, and they were talking about why, and they basically concluded that it's, it's so disorienting because we have tended to isolate ourselves from death now, that we actually are kind of, our proximity to death is a little bit distant because, you know, in history... You might have had one or two brothers that, or sisters that didn't make it to adulthood, that died in infancy, or uh, your grandparents might have died in your home, that actually death was very close in proximity. And now we tend to die in facilities or hospitals and not as close to it. Now, that might be different now that we've had a pandemic because that, that article was old. But this idea that we're just very sometimes distant from death 
You know, assuming death is far away can make us a little self-centered, thinking about our world and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish, and it can make us very short-sighted, where we're only thinking what's right in front of us, not thinking long-term. You know, it's because we think that death is far away and we have plenty of time to figure out what we want to do. But would you agree that to assume death is far away or that we are guaranteed many years on this earth would actually be kind of arrogant? I mean, we don't tend to think that way, but would you agree that to assume death is way off in the future and that I've got all these years to live would actually be kind of a little bit of arrogance to assume? Or we would, we would probably agree that living with the thought that, well, somebody else might die, but I'm not, is a little bit arrogant. And young people kind of get a bad rap for this just because of some of the things they do. But I wonder, do we sometimes live our lives assuming death is far away? Do we sometimes live our lives like a teenager driving on snowy roads where we're just really not thinking that far ahead? Is it possible that we, even as adults, tend to live assuming that death is some far off thing, not nearly as close as we like, like to think. Like we know philosophically that death is real, and as you get older, you're, you experience people close to you passing away, and you experience tragedy. And so we know that death is real, but, but we tend to still live sometimes like it isn't, or it's not a possible reality for us. And I think maybe that can be an arrogant way of thinking. We're continuing in our series, Life According to Jim, this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you can open that up to James chapter 4. If you're using an app, feel free to open that up. There's a Bible in a seat back. If you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to take that with you. Actually, take that Bible home. It's a gift. Open it up and read it. There's power in the scriptures, and your life will be better for having read it. If you're online, click on the notes section. All the sermon points of scripture are available to you. And so we've been going through the book of James over the the course of the summer and just mining out some of the nuggets of truth, some of the wisdom that James is sharing with the early believers. And so we continue in that this morning. We're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 17. So James, Jesus' brother, says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. I feel in reading this that James has some concern for these early believers. He seems very concerned that maybe they have taken life for granted. And it's important to remember who James is writing to here. James is writing to those who profess to follow Jesus. He's not writing to the outside culture of the world. He's writing to people who said, hey, I believe in Jesus and I'll follow him. And he's saying, you cannot continue to live the same way once you accept Jesus that you lived before. That there has to be a change in your life. And a lot of the change happens in here. 
the way we think and believe about things. Right? He says, for, for, for you, life is different. For someone who doesn't follow Christ, they should squeeze as much out of this life as they can because it's the only one they get. But he's saying, for those who follow Jesus, there's such a higher calling to life. There's so much more at stake. And he's reminding them that they say, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But maybe they should pause for a moment. And I think he seems to be worried they've taken life for granted, that they maybe assume death is far away and are living a little arrogantly. What is your life, he asked. Life is many things, but would you agree that life is short? I think life is many things, but I think we would all agree that life is short. It's like a mist He says, it's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like the steam coming off your coffee cup this morning. It was once there and then it's gone. It's like life is right in front of us and then all of a sudden it's right behind us. It's it's here and it's gone. Life is short. Yesterday, I got to visit my grandparents, and it's always good when I get to do that. Uh, They're not in their home anymore. They're in different uh, living facilities based just because of their health needs. One struggles physically, and one struggles mentally. And when I was sitting listening yesterday to them talk, it just seemed like it wasn't that long ago that I was actually visiting them at their home. We had this tradition growing up that we would go to our grandparents' house on Sunday evenings. Some of you might have experienced that where you went and visited regularly. And it just seems like yesterday that we were sitting there talking, having normal conversations, enjoying life. You know, they still knew who the kids were and, and all those things. And yet it was, feels like in the snap of a finger that has changed. And I know it hasn't. I know that. But it feels like it was quick. And I bet if they could really articulate it, they would probably tell me the same. They're in their mid-80s. They would probably say, life goes quick. Uh, The writer in Psalms says this in Psalm 90.10. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Talk to anyone in their 70s or 80s, and I bet they will agree with that writer. That it feels like it was just yesterday. They were young and living life and driving on snowy roads. And now they're in their 70s and 80s and life is very different for them. He says life comes and goes. It's right before us and then it's right behind us. Quickly flies away. Now I'm not one to start shopping for Christmas this early. Anybody in here already shopping for Christmas It's Christmas in July, right? Some of you are, you know, you're raising your hand. You're like, yeah, which means one of two things. You're either incredibly cheap and you found something on clearance or you're incredibly thoughtful and you're putting a lot of time into what you're choosing. I don't know which you are, but many people start shopping this time of year. So imagine, just just imagine with me for a minute that you're out shopping for your loved one. You're out shopping for a Christmas gift and you find the gift. You've been going through and you're like, this is, is it. This is the gift I want to get my loved one. It's incredibly useful. It's a useful gift. It's something they can use. It's something they can treasure that will be very memorable. You find a gift that they would probably never purchase for themselves. You would have to get it for them. And it's something that would say, my love for you is undeniable. They would look at that gift and say, there is no doubt in my mind that you love me. Imagine you found that gift 
It wasn't on clearance. It is a little pricey. But imagine you found that gift and you take it home and you wrap it up and you're so excited to watch them open it and they open it and there's just genuine joy and excitement. They're even crying, tears of joy. They love the gift and you feel really good about it. Then you notice by the end of the day, they haven't really touched it. And by the end of the week, it hasn't moved from its original spot. Within a month, it's collecting dust and By next Christmas, it's in a box on a shelf in the garage. They haven't thrown it away. They've just forgotten about it. Would you be hurt? Would you be devastated if you put all that energy and effort into providing this gift for someone and they just didn't use it? I would assume you would be. Here's something else we know about life. Life is a gift. Life is... A gift. It's like that Christmas gift you bought. It's something incredibly useful. Life is something we can treasure and something we could never give ourselves. And it proves God's undeniable love for us, right? Your life is more than your job. Your life is more than the degrees you have. Your life is more than your hobbies. It's more than how much money you have or how much you don't have. Your life is more than your social status. It's more than your highs. And it's more than your lows. Life is an extraordinary gift. And it is a short-lived gift, but a powerful one. And I know there are people in this room who are dealing with different situations. And even someone listening online who may be struggling uh, with their life. And what purpose and value it has. And so if you're listening right now, maybe it's right now or five years from now. And you're streaming this online. I want you to know that your life is incredibly valuable. You are made in the image of God. You are deeply, deeply loved. Please don't throw away the gift God gave you. Reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you discover the gift that God has given you. You matter. So life is incredibly valuable. It is short, but it is a gift from God. James is reminding them about this gift, right? He says, you're assuming that you're going to go to this place and do this thing and start this business and make this money. You're assuming that death is far away and that you can do those things. You're counting your life as your own and forgetting what a gift it is. You're assuming death is far away and misusing the gift. Here's what he says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, We will live and do this or do that. He doesn't say stop living. He doesn't say stop doing things. He doesn't say stop making plans. He doesn't say close your business. He doesn't say you're evil for working hard and making money or setting up a business. He doesn't say any of those things are bad or evil. He doesn't say stop investing in your retirement accounts. I think he's saying at a most fundamental, at a most basic level, before we do anything, we should acknowledge that our lives belong to God. I think he's saying acknowledge the gift giver, honor him by seeking his will. Life is short and it's a gift. How dare we assume it's ours to own? Jesus says in Matthew 3, his disciple writes down, seek first his kingdom and his Righteousness, And he goes on to kind of illustrate how we do that. We do that by loving God with all of our heart and all of our mind, or all of our soul and all of our mind, and to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. So we honor 
the life that we're gifted by loving others. We make the most of the gift by loving others, right? He says, when we don't, we sin. If we know the good we ought to do and we don't do it, he said, that is sin for us. And so if I were going to try to narrow down everything James is saying into three points, here's what I would say he's trying to communicate. Number one, life is a gift. We shouldn't assume that we have years ahead of us. It's a gift. We don't get to control it as much as we think I think he would tell them, death isn't as far away as you might think. Whether you're young or you're older, death is not as far away as we tend to live like we think it is. And I think he's saying because of that, because you have this precious, perishable gift, and because death is not as far away as we think, that we should do good while we can. While we're able, we should do good for others. If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, he says, that is sin. Life is beautiful and precious. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, If you follow Jesus, if if you've accepted him, you are his child. You are deeply loved and called to an incredible purpose and service to others. The good we are called to do is to communicate the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Life is a gift. Death isn't as far away as we assume, and we should do good while we're able. So here's a question for you this morning. What good are you being called to do? All right, let's take it from an idea to... Practical. What good are you individually, am I being called to do? What good thing do I know I should do? Am I doing it or do I need to start? Right, what, what gifts do you have that you could give to others? And scripture says when we accept Jesus, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he gifts us for the work of ministry. Not professional ministry, like personal ministry. You being out in the world, helping others find and follow Jesus. What gifts do you have? Do you have a burning in your soul for people who don't know Jesus? Does it bother you that there are people in this world who don't know Jesus? Really good people, perhaps. Does it, does it bother you? If so, maybe you have the gift of evangelism. Maybe when you go to work or when you post, you should share the good news of Jesus Christ every day. Do you have the gift of evangelism? If so, I hope you're using it and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Do you have the gift of teaching? Are you able to communicate truth to others? Maybe for you, that's a workplace Bible study. You do something where you're able to teach others about Jesus. Maybe you get involved and help teach my children how to follow Jesus. I've got two children over in the kids' wing this morning that I bring every Sunday. Would you help me teach them to follow Jesus? And every other young couple in this church who needs the help of others who have navigated that, if you have the gift of teaching, I hope you're using it. I hope you're not sitting on that gift. I would say, James might even say, if you have a gift and you're not using it, that would be sin. If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, he would say, that is sin. Do you have the gift of exhortation or encouragement? Are you someone that just thrives on encouraging other people? You always tend to just have a kind word to support someone. 
I hope you're doing that every day. When you pick your kids up this morning, tell them thank you. They did a good job. When you're getting coffee, say thank you. So great that we have warm coffee on a Sunday morning. Encourage people. Encourage the staff here. Nothing fuels ministry like encouragement. Maybe you have the gift of administration and leadership. Maybe you are someone who can actually organize things and put things together. Help us. There's a whole community out here, all kinds of new neighborhoods of people that need to know about the love of Jesus Christ. Help us organize something. Get involved in creating an event to help. Do you have the gift of wisdom? And you don't have to be old to have wisdom. You can be a young body with an old spirit. Maybe you have lots of wisdom to share. You know, I think it would be a shame to carry a bucket of wisdom to your grave. Pour that bucket out into somebody else's life. Don't die with a whole bunch of wisdom. Give it away. Right? Find somebody you can pour into. Right? Do you have the gift of giving? Some people are going to say, well, now the preacher's talking about money. Right? Other, other church talking about money. Do you have the gift of giving? Some people, based on their life circumstances, aren't able to physically serve. Or maybe you've been blessed with resources and you're looking for a way to use those. Some people love to give. I would encourage you to find an amount that hurts and give that. It doesn't have to be here. Use it to the glory of God to bring more people to know Christ. And giving goes beyond just resources. We're talking our time, our gifts, our talents that we have. What talents do you have? Uh, We're in a room full of people with probably a bunch of degrees and people online who have gone to school. What things have you learned through your trade that you could use to bring people to Jesus? Are you a skilled tradesman? Right? Do you have a skill? Then help us fix something. We might not even know that it needs fixing. Right? Come to us. Hey, I can help with this. I can help with that. Find somebody in the community that needs some help and fix something for them. Right? Don't sit on the, the knowledge that you have. Right? Put your skills, put your trade into service for the kingdom. Right? Can you play an instrument? Can you sing? And now we don't want American Idol in here. We don't want a bunch of people who think they can sing and can't. That's a, that's a tricky one there, you know. Maybe sing for somebody else before you get up here. But can you sing? Can you play an instrument? If so, put that into use for the glory of God. Help lead worship. Help inspire people to worship Jesus every day. Maybe you're a tech guru. Maybe you love the tech world. Right? Help us build an infrastructure that will change the world. That will bring more people to know Christ. Now, you may be listening and think, I don't have any gifts, and I don't have any talents. I'm just an ordinary person. That's great, because God will use that. Because I know something we all have in common, and that is experiences. There's no one in this room that hasn't experienced something. If you meet somebody that's never experienced anything, please introduce me to them. I'd like to meet them. We have all experienced a variety of things in in this life. Some are really good experiences. Some might be painful experiences, but we've all experienced something, and those experiences can be used in service to God and in service to others. Uh, Have you had a long, blessed marriage? Have you been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Doesn't mean that it's all been roses, but have you learned something through that period? I hope so. Would you share that with me? I'm a young married guy. There's plenty of young married people in this church. If you've experienced a long, blessed marriage, would you pour out a little bit of that wisdom into some of the young couples? Maybe they can avoid some of the mistakes you made and make different ones. Then they can repeat the process when they're older. Have you experienced maybe a tragedy? Have you experienced the loss of a loved one? 
or maybe a spouse or a child. There's, that's, not a, that's not a pleasant experience, but it can be a purposeful experience. You can use that to help lead other people through that dark time so that they too can know that this will pass and that there can be purpose in the pain that they may be experiencing. Have you experienced the struggle of infertility or miscarriage? Maybe you help a struggling young mom or a couple deal with the weight of that and know that there are other things in store for them and ways they can use that pain to help others. Have you been a successful businessman or businesswoman? Find somebody you can pour into and share your knowledge with, right? What gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What experiences do you have that you can put into service for the kingdom? I think James would say if we have gifts and talents and experiences and we don't use those to help others, I think he would say we're living in sin because we know there's good that we ought to do and we should do it. In fact, I think I remember reading somewhere in scripture about a parable of the talents is what it's called. When God gives us certain things and he expects like a multiplication of that, if you're new to church, just Google parable of the talents. And if you need a refresher on that, just Google the same thing, right? This story where God's like, hey, I've given this person these talents and I'm expecting them to do something with it, to get a return on my investment. We're expected to use these gifts. He's prepared it in advance for us to do. Life is a gift, a precious gift. Death isn't as far away as we tend to think it is. Because of that, we should do all the good we can while we can. And I don't just mean doing good for the sake of making yourself feel better. If if our service is not connected to an eternal purpose, then it's just self-fulfilling and puffs us up. There's no shortage of people doing good in the world, but if it's not connected to an eternal source, then it's really just about making ourselves feel better. If you follow Jesus, we're called to do the good we know we should do. As a, uh, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to preach at a couple of funerals. And that's a really important event in the family's life where they're memorializing someone that they've lost. And a lot of times we don't even call them funerals anymore. We call them celebrations of life. And so I've had the opportunity to do a couple of those, and I'm always intrigued by reading the person's obituary. You know, sometimes you read an obituary, and it seems very generic. It's like they just printed off a template and plugged in a name. There's no shame in that. It's just a little sad that there was nothing about this person that was extraordinary, just a person. And sometimes you read an obituary where you can tell the family had to work really, really hard to turn this person into somebody that they really weren't. That's sad. And then sometimes you read an obituary that's really chock full of of, uh, memories and experiences and it's clever and it's funny and it really celebrates that person's life. I love reading those. You know, it's a time for a family just to memorialize somebody in just a short paragraph. But I read this obituary a while ago and it just really caught my attention. It's a really sad and sobering obituary that a daughter wrote about her dad. And I want to read that to you. And I've shortened it a bit, but listen as she writes about her dad. Leslie 
known as Popeye, was born November 20th, 1942, and passed away January 30th, 2017. 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm that was mildly humorous when he was sober. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and a good friend. And I read that, and my heart broke. She didn't even call him dad. She used his first name. Had nothing great to say about her dad. But you know what really captured my attention was that last line. He will only be missed for what he never did. I hope that's not written about us. I hope our obituary is full of things, the good that we knew we were called to do, and we actually did it. Life is short. That's a gift, precious gift. And death isn't as far away as we always like to think. Because of those two truths, we should do the good we know we should do while we can do it. Church, I hope we're remembered for the good that we do, not what we didn't do. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the life that you've given us. Yes, the life here on earth, but God, the eternal life that you've promised for those of us who have surrendered to you. Help us not to take our lives for granted, to assume that it's something that we, we just get, but to be thankful for every day and to look for every opportunity we can to do good. It's what you've called us to do. So I pray we surrender our lives to you. That's really the most basic. The first thing we can do is just surrender our lives. Maybe for someone in this room, that's a first-time decision. It's a decision to be baptized and surrender to you. But for others, it may just be a daily surrendering to your calling, to the life that you've called us into. So God, may we reflect and think, what are the gifts we have? What are the talents we have? What are the experiences we have that we can put in to use to serve your kingdom and to lead others into a loving relationship with you? So God, be with us as we think and reflect and decide what we need to do. It's in your name we pray, Lord.